完璧などありえないこの世界は不完全だから美しいバカバカバカ何俺は海賊王になるなんと恋しさなど力を渡した時に言ったことを覚えているかいクレ違うそこじゃない変態遅い Hello and welcome to More Than Hentai, a podcast is here to show you that anime is far more than just tentacles and catgirls. There's also countless stories of love, loss, laughs, hope, horror, and happiness that are just dying to be found. And I, Brendan White, the Salt and Pepper Senpai, I'm here to help you find them. More Than Hentai is proudly powered by 8bit.net and those sexy audio legends over at Audio Technica. Go upgrade your headphone game today over at AudioTechnica.com. And joining me on this episode is one of the rising stars of video games media scene, whose words can be found all over pressstart.com.au. When he's not reviewing and interviewing the latest and greatest, he can also be found smashing through many a Metroidvania and also consuming the occasional piece of anime. You can find him on them socials at Harry underscore Kalo, which is K-A-L-O. Harry Caligaru, welcome to the studio, my friend. How might you be doing? Thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm great, thanks. Um, it's been a busy week. Um... Lots of stuff going on over at Press Start、um, with Diablo 4 and Street Fighter coming out this week.、Um, go check out all of the written stuff there、uh, if you're into gaming. Most definitely, most definitely. I think there's a fantastic sort of crossover and synergy between gamers and anime fanatics, as evidenced by yourself and myself. And、uh, from what I recall,、uh, doing a little bit of digging around on your Press Start portfolio, you are closing in on 80 articles to date on there. So,、uh, congratulations on that. And the most recent one, obviously, is the Big Diablo 4 review, which is,、uh, you know, no small title to tackle. No, it was a big one.、Um, it was a big review as well. I think just shy of 2,000 words.、Um, You know, you typically aim for a, a sweet spot of like 800 to 1200 so you keep people engaged, but sometimes you just got to blow it out because the game is. Is that big? So it, it, it is a beast, and I'm looking forward to sinking my, my teeth into that over the coming weeks and months. But、uh, spoiler free opinions on Dablo 4. What is your sort of closing statement on Dablo 4 that could get listeners excited or maybe、uh, skeptical about jumping in? Who knows?、Uh, one of the things I like, to, I like to say about it, I said this on the Press Start podcast yesterday,、um, it feels like A Blizzard title of old, in the sense that, like, you know, you would go to JB Hi Fi, EB Games, your local games retailer, and they would have those big, chunky boxes、um, on the PC shelves that were sort of like a synonymous with quality and polish.、Mm-hmm. Um, that's what Diablo 4 feels like, sort of harkening back to Blizzard's glory days.、Um, feels like a real comeback for them, a real win. Yeah, we were talking offline, and they certainly need it with everything else that's sort of orbiting Activision Blizzard at the moment, good,、Definitely. bad, or really bad. So,、uh, yeah, I'm happy to see it's reviewing well, and it certainly played really well from my experience with it. And、uh, yeah, hopefully it's just onwards and upwards here as far as positive press moving forward, and we can avoid any Bobby Kotick related dramas. But、uh, yeah, who knows? <laughs> He's never too far from the blender. But、uh, yeah, we're, we're here. To talk about yourself first and foremost before we jump into the main meat and potatoes episode. So, maybe Harry, you could give us a bit of a backstory about yourself, who you are, what you do, and then we can sort of narrow that lens into your history with anime because anime was probably just about the very first thing we ever spoken about when I met you、uh, in Melbourne a few months back. So, it's nice that we've sort of connected those dots here on the podcast. But yeah, let's, yeah. let's talk you first and foremost.、Um, yeah, big gamer.、Um, I grew up.、Uh... Like, as far back as I can remember playing on, on Game Boys and things like that. I'm a bit on the younger side. So, my first real home console that I owned was a 360.、Um, I think that played a, a big part. And,、um, like, my DS, my Game Boy Advance,、um, got so much use when I was younger.、Um, I think that sort of just naturally flowed into、um, where I am today with games writing and, and doing freelance. And a lot of my stuff, or almost all my stuff, is at Press Start.、Um, I've been writing with them for a little under three years now. Um, I've had some incredible opportunities with them. I'm so grateful every day for the stuff I get to do.、Um, and I work with some, some awesome people as well. Aside from that, I study game design as well、um, at university,、um, which is a great time.、Uh, as far as anime goes, I did grow up watching a lot of cartoons.、Um, mm-hmm. I think I like to reference that, that golden era of Cartoon Network with like Ben Tan and. Um, you had like Bakugan and, and all the other stuff that, that we used to watch.、Um, or I, m- kids my age would, would have watched back then anyway.、Um, <laughs> You're making me feel like I'm 75 years old right now. Not, not <laughs> intentional, but.、Um, <laughs> yeah.、Okay. Uh, Courage the Cowardly Dog, that sort of thing.、Um, 
I feel like I don't know how that eventuated into anime, but I remember in in sort of early high school days, probably year seven, eight, um, back when like anime lab were really taking off. I was just curious. I was like, what what is all this? Um, and I'd actually been to Japan before that. Um, one of my best friends is Japanese, and I went with his family um, when I was in primary school. So that might have played some part of it. The first anime that like I watched and really properly got into, aside from like Naruto being on Cartoon Network and stuff, um, was probably Sword Art Online. Um, I like vividly remember staying up far too late on a school night, um, binging the first half of that, um, and it sort of just grew on from there. Um, watched countless stuff. Some of my favorites are Psycho Pass, um, Fullmetal Alchemist, Big Chainsaw Man guy. Um, mm-hmm. I don't have as much time as I would like nowadays to watch, but I definitely try to keep up with the big stuff. Yeah, your you, you list as far as your, your your favorites that you shared on the uh, on the more than hentai sort of submission form there. It's it's the murderers role, the the who's who of anime, or at least from my perspective, you, you've referenced so many titles that I obsess over. You know, like Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood. You mentioned Chainsaw Man, Attack on Titan, Parasite, which is super duper underrated still to yeah, this day. Yeah, I, yeah, so underappreciated. It, it's such a special anime. I rewatched it a couple of months ago and it still just holds up so well. For an anime that's, you know, getting up there in age in comparison to some of the new hotness, it still mm. is really special. You know, I've been rewatching Tokyo Ghoul late, lately, which you love, Kill a Kill, Akamiga Kill as well, which is also phenomenal and doesn't get enough love. And then, yeah, yeah. Naruto, Psychopaths, and Jujutsu Kaisen. And it is like, they're a bunch of home run hitters right there. Thank you. <laughs> Yeah, you're a man of impeccable taste. Impeccable taste. <laughs> I yeah, do try. And, and one of those first titles on that list there, Chainsaw Man, that was that was the anime slash manga that we we initially bonded over because yeah. we were talking about watching the anime, but also how far we'd progressed if we were reading the manga. And I know you were pretty mm-hmm. much up to date with elite, reading all 11 volumes at the time. And yeah. I hadn't finished all 11 at the time, but I'm, I'm finished now. And God, I am so it's, impatiently waiting now for, yeah. I guess, envisioning how these future seasons of the anime will play out. And I want it all now, Harry, but sadly we've got many years to go until we get to the end of, of this arc. It is it is truly absurd how good, uh, not just Chainsaw Man, but um, like Fujimoto's other stuff is. Um, I very rarely will read before I watch, but... Um, I got into Chainsaw Man when the hype was going around, I think just after it finished. Um, and well, my, I read all of it in maybe a week. Um, yeah, like quickly has risen to the top as one of my favorites. And I am reading um, every every chapter that comes out, um, every fortnight or whatever it is. I can't That's get enough of it. so good. I, I am thoroughly addicted it's it's one of my favorites and it's yeah it's quickly ascended like you know the all-time ranks for me from from a season that we've only had 12 episodes of and yeah we've we've got 11 fully translated sort of volumes now that, yeah. that are available but yeah the the fortnightly chapter drops have been great but yeah, i just need it all now because i want to see some more of those panels translated to real life yeah. to, to to the anime style and oh, yeah. i cannot wait to see some of those big moments like viewers ain't got no clue what's coming harry yeah that's no the other thing I, I can't wait to see the the like general reaction when people who who haven't read get to see it all for the first time because um it, yeah it truly goes off the rails in the second half in the best possible way um yeah it, it's, yeah, yeah no, remarkable it's, so good. it's so special and yeah i i am very excited to see what mappa do with some of those some of those panel translations to screen but yeah sadly we're gonna have to wait many a year to see some of yes. these things pay off but you know what good things come to those who wait so it'll be worth I, it <laughs> i i think so i think so 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 from an anime perspective as a whole is there certain things that you love and also certain things that you hate within anime that sort of you tend tend to gravitate towards or things maybe you tend to stay away from typically? Yeah, I like to give most things a try, um, regardless of like my pre-biases. Um, never really thought I would get into sport animes, but I did enjoy Blue Lock quite a bit, oh, um, which I think w- was was quite good. Um, but I, I generally gravitate to stuff that is that is more grounded. Um, I mean, like some of my favorites are Psycho Pass, Parasite, Tokyo Ghoul, that sort of thing, which are like by comparison, uh, quite not grounded per se, but I more, more gritty, um, you know, thriller aspects, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, I also love the Shinkai films, um, and, and all those sorts of things like the, the romance and, and, and all that stuff. Um, so yeah, I, quite eclectic, um, in terms of things I hate, 
I don't know. I like I think fan service when it goes a bit too hard can mm-hmm. can put me off. Um but I think it has to get pretty far for it to be able to like really get me not interested. Um yep, yep. Other than that, yeah, I don't know. I, and like there's a few genres that I think I'm a bit sick of just because they're done to death. Um but when when those come out with interesting ideas, I can really get into them, so yeah, it's, it can be pretty touch and go. <clears throat> the the great thing with anime, like there, there's literally a flavor there for everybody, and depending on the mood you're in, you can you can find it anywhere at any time. So depending mm. on if yeah you you're thirsting for something a little fan servicey, or you want something a bit more grounded, or dark, or dire, or, or laden with science fiction, there's there's something there for everybody, and and that's the best thing with this medium. Like it can translate ideas to screen better than just about any other medium with the exception to maybe video games to a degree. I think video yeah. games can execute those same sort of uh, breaks of realism and just taking you to these magical, fantastic, dark, decrepit worlds better than most, but it's just a good time anime. And, and I'm happy that you're a, you're a fan and you're a bit of an aficionado with that, with that uh, palette of yours, with those, those titles <laughs> as far as the, the favorites. So uh, no, it's good to see. It's really Thank good to you. see. But uh, yeah, listeners, for anyone that is stopping by More Than Hentai for the first time, the way this podcast works is myself and my co-host here with Harry that I've got here with me today, we are going to be unpacking an anime that either one or neither of us have watched previously. So we're going to be looking at, typically it's only the first episode only, but we're doing something a little different today and we're going to be focusing on the first, second and potentially third, depending on where the discussion goes, because uh, this one is a little bit of a slow burn to begin with. So I think allowing us to to, to look at it broader than just that 20 odd minutes will really give us a bit more of a, a reform, refined and, and formed opinion. So the anime in question here, we're not going to go into overall uh, massive plot spoilers. It's going to ruin the entire story. We will be talking spoilers throughout those first couple of episodes. So bear in mind that we will be potentially spoiling key moments or key developments with characters, but it's only going to be about those first few episodes. Anything beyond that is, is safe. You don't have to worry. We're not going to ruin the entire experience just aiming to give you a bit of an understanding and a bit of a uh, expectation on what you might be able to uh, obtain here from watching this anime in question. And that anime that we are tackling here today is none other than Jojo's Bizarre Adventure, which is a Japanese manga series originally written and illustrated by Hirohiki Araki. It was originally serialized in Shonen Magazine, Weekly Shonen Jump from 1987. So we are going back here over 30 years. It's, it's uh, going a ways back jojo's bizarre adventure and the series to date has over 120 million copies in circulation making it one of the best-selling manga series in history and it has spawned it's gone on to spawn a whole host of other franchise specific medias we've got one-shot mangas light novels video games and also anime and in july of 2022 during the 25th anniversary celebration araki announced a new anime adaptation was in the works by david production with the 26 episode first season debuting three months later in october of 2012 and several more seasons are now available to consume primarily over on netflix jojo's bizarre adventure currently holds a metacritic score for this first season in question of 7.89 on my anime list and that is based on 1 million user scores and the story of Jojo's Bizarre Adventure is as follows. The year is 1868. English nobleman George Joestar and his son Jonathan become indebted to Dario Brando after being rescued from a carriage incident. What the Joestars don't realize, however, is that Dario had no intention of helping them. He believed they were dead and was trying to ransack their belongings. After Dario's death 12 years later, George, hoping to repay his debt, adopts his son Dio. While he publicly fawns over his new father, Dio secretly plans to steal the Joestar fortune. His first step is to create a divide between George and Jonathan. By constantly outdoing his foster brother, Dio firmly makes his place in the Joestar family. But when Dio pushes Jonathan too far, Jonathan defeats him in a brawl. Years later, the two appear to be close friends to the outside world, but trouble brews again when George falls ill, as Jonathan suspects that Dio is somehow behind the incident, and it appears he has more tricks up his sleeve. So Harry, JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, this is an anime that has been out now for over 11 years. What were your initial thoughts on this, I guess, reboot slash retelling of this very, very, very fabled manga that's been around since uh, just after I was born, which is crazy to think about. So 35 years in existence, and we are talking about the anime that came out 11 years ago, give or take a couple of months. 
Yeah, it's a it's a long time and a big time gap as well between adaptations. Um, yeah, it, it's interesting. Um, the first episode, I think, struggles a bit from a pacing perspective. Um, and like, it's really hard to not have um, sort of a, a preconception of what JoJo's is going to be like, given how much of a a place it has. Um, I feel like even if you don't watch it, you, you probably know what it is. Um, you see you know clips and things like that people talk about it all the time um i think stone ocean did really well and people were talking about that for ages mm-hmm. so it's hard to like not go into it and sort of expect something and um, i think part one is like markedly different from what most people would probably expect jojo's is and yeah like i said the pacing it's definitely a bit of a slow burn um like it spends more time with its characters uh it's less grand than um i think like clips and stuff you would see of it would let it on to be yeah, it's definitely interesting coming into it with all the like the preconceived uh, the the surrounding zeitgeist of it, I guess, um, and how popular it is like today. Yeah, I um, I, I've struggled with JoJo's over the years because, like you mentioned, it is such a larger than life type of anime where it has been blown up and propped up and and everyone knows of it or can talk fondly of of certain arcs or or episodes or scenes that they've watched and i was pretty late to the jojo's party i watched it for the first time i think maybe only two or three years ago and i watched the first episode then and i just couldn't vibe with it and like after the first i was like no i'm good i'm moving on to something else and i parked it and then i had another go last year parked it again and now here we are on this third go around where i'm like you know what i'm gonna push through and see what happens because sometimes just beyond what you can see after that first or second episode there could be some gold in that tunnel there so uh you know i I pushed forward kept mining through it and it it started to uh what would i say It, it started to sort of resonate with me a little bit and i started to enjoy myself a lot more but like you mentioned this first episode which is titled dio the invader there's not a ton of action going on straight away though. Like the, the second the anime starts up, like the art style is completely different to 95% of anime that's currently doing the rounds at the moment. Like it's very distinctive, like uh, David production, fantastic studio. And they've done some really good stuff. Like most recently they've been doing fire force, which is everyone, something that everyone else is always sort of thirsting about. And they've done the adaptation for Urusai Yatsura, which is another, manga and anime that's been around for decades and it also has got a bit of a nostalgic look and feel to it but the the art style that uh, jojo's has i think is probably its strongest card that it plays because it just does immediately grab your attention like the line work is super bold the color palette that they use is really great the way that they frame shots with with sort of when there's combat and like really tense emotive moments like it really drew me in and really hooked me with that that was great but then on the other end of it uh, i i've been watching it through with the dub and <laughs> i don't know if you've been doing the same harry but like no. the the dub is is a time like because we're, <laughs> we're, we're we're back in you know the the 1800s yeah and the accents and the wordplay especially when there's maybe some some weaker dubbing going on it's comic like it's hysterical i think and very comical and i think some of the tense moments do get lost in this almost parodying of the of the accent so i think some of the moments that were meant to hit me really big didn't hit me as much because i was sort of chuckling along by these by these faux british accents that these characters were throwing around but overall like i'm vibing it a lot more this time and i've sort of been respecting this source material a little bit more and, and enjoying this this very unique and characterist world that they're building out in front of us yeah i I agree that like uh it it always has had a super striking art style i think again when you see those clips or 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 photos of it on social media you know it's jojo's like you don't have to know like the characters that are in the shot or whatever but you can see it and you just know it is because that that's its style um it's so incredibly unique it's funny that you mentioned that like some of those serious moments get lost in translation on the dub i also felt like watching it subbed there are times where it's funny and probably not intended to be oh, okay. um <laughs> i don't know i don't know if that is just a me thing um but i it, it, it just gets really over the top sometimes and it's obviously there's moments where you're meant to be like oh no like you know like what's gonna happen like how they're gonna get out of this um and then the way that they animate or the way that they like com- like compose the shot it, it, it will just um 
will make me laugh. Uh, but I, I, I like it. It doesn't pull me out of it. Um, I'm not sure how much that sort of like uh, transcends into the later parts as well. Because I know that it, like it's darker than I was expecting, that's for sure. Um, and I'm pretty sure the later parts are meant to be as well. Um, but yeah, it does it does uh, get its hooks into you a little bit more in those uh, second and third episodes, I think. Um, and does a bit more to like get you interested and engaged. Yeah, because because in that first episode, there's there's you know they do it they do a good amount with the table sitting there as far as introducing Dio and JoJo as I guess these these potential eternal rivals that we're going to be dealing with throughout the entirety of this series and sort of the contrast between the two where JoJo's this big brute that's not really like he comes from a rich high society powerful very formal family but he's anything but you know he's he's scoffing his food down his table manners manners are horrible where. Dio grew up in the slums, but he's also, he's very learned and, and the complete opposite to Jojo. So it's it's funny when you see Dio get incorporated into this family as the, the new adopted son. And he's almost like the, the son that um, Jojo's father always wanted to have because he's doing everything right where Jojo is just this big, clumbersome, lovable oaf. Yeah, who's this, also this this paragon of good as well. Like, like <clears throat> Jojo's... Yeah, absolutely, that sort of oaf um, archetype. But he does try his best, and he, it, like he, he's like like the ultimate good guy, right? Um, he's always looking out for the little guy. Um, whereas Dio is is scummy and, and and ratty and does things behind your back. And yeah, it's it's an interesting like comparison and contrast between the two. Like one thing I didn't realize um, about Dio in particular was how evil he is. Like, yeah, it, I I always had this again precon- preconceptions, preconceived notions um, that Dio was sort of like this antihero almost, um, where like he would team up with JoJo across different parts um, against a greater threat. Um, it is pretty clear that that is not the case. Um, this guy is like reprehensible, uh, just an all round nasty fellow. Um, so yeah, but in a in a in like you want to see him fail, but you don't like one of those kinds of villains. Yeah, he's got some motives you can kind of root for occasionally. Like you, you can understand this this young man that's that's come up from nothing, and I guess he's got a disdain for anyone that has money and success and power, and just wants to see the world burn and, and claim what is his. So you can sort of cheer for him a little bit in that regard but they're they're great foils for one another and 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 like you mentioned harry yeah jojo is just this beacon of of positivity and good and he's always fighting for the for the for the downtrodden and and you sort of see that really early on where uh we're introduced to arena which is jojo's sort of love interest and they meet when they're when they're sort of young young children or early teenagers and and she's getting bullied by a couple of these other rando English boys with horrible, fantastic accents. And he just charges in headstrong like a white knight. And, and like the way the way he presents himself in these early episodes too, you feel that he is going to defeat everybody and just beat everybody down. But it's not the case. He charges and then he gets towed up by these two guys and made fun of. And, and then they find out that he's he's from a, a rich family. He's, he's part of the Joestar family. So they beat the crap out of him even more to make an example of him. So it's kind of good to see him, I guess, have to earn his, his heroism in a way where he isn't just this beast from day one. He is just this, this young headstrong man that just tries to see the good and fight for the little person. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's definitely interesting because you see, you see stuff around him as well in, in clips and from other parts and um, seems like, or every character in JoJo is, is, is almost like a Dragon Ball situation where everyone is like obscenely powerful, mm-hmm. um, like almost right out of the gate. But um, it like the first few episodes of of part one are, are like surprisingly constrained in scope, like not just in like the the conflict and like um, what it is you know JoJo goes up against, um, but also um, like like in the action sequences and and like the stuff that you would probably expect from Jojo's coming into it fresh. Um, like quite straightforward, um, nothing too crazy with, you know, these stands going around and, and you know, people having absolutely obscure and absurd um, powers that you hear about in these later parts. So, um, yeah, it's definitely interesting seeing like where it sort of started. Um, and it makes you wonder like, how it gets to where it does in in the later parts, <laughs> right? Um, with all the other 
stuff that goes on um just based on what i've heard anyway so yeah because this first episode you watch and it feels like i'm watching you know bridgerton or like some afternoon soapy like it's it is almost slice of life yeah yeah like so i'm sitting there going like watching it through again in the last couple of weeks and i'm like this this is what everyone's like touting as is one of the special anime that everyone has to watch i'm like this this is the hill people are dying on but then yeah it builds from the second and third episode onwards and and it just yeah goes into all kinds of territory that i just didn't envision after that first episode like the first episode gives you just this expectation that it's just going to be a period piece slice of life drama with maybe some bit of heroism and some romance thrown in and then it changes uh pretty exponentially after that in in the following episodes as far as where the storyline goes but in that first episode yeah, not not a ton of of sort of world building. We we get some focused character development. They they really take the time to let us understand who Jojo is. We we also understand who Dio is. A couple of the peripheral characters there as well. Like we we meet Arena, who's just you know, a simple English girl living out in the country there, who's a bit of a sweetheart that Jojo really falls in love with pretty quickly, and they they develop a really close bond. But the thing that sort of consistent through this first episode at least is how cruel of a son of a bitch Dio is like the things he does and the underhanded tactics he does like where they're having just that sort of in air quotes friendly boxing match out out in the out in this field and and all the the locals are there watching and I guess it's just a regular regular thing and Dio gets a bit shady and, and pokes Jojo in the eye with that or later on when they're having a fight and Jojo starts sort of getting the upper hand and like Dio whips out a flick blade and he's about to stab him. But the biggest part in the, in this first episode for me, outside of when he steals Jojo and Arena's first kiss, which is just the ultimate like villainous moment. Like it is yeah. so great. I'm like, yes. This <laughs> and is it's out of so left good. field as well. It's out of nowhere, right? Yeah, yeah. You you definitely don't expect it. Like it, there's a very slow build up with Dio where he's doing these things and you're like, okay, this guy's a bit of a dirtbag. Um and then, yeah, they really drop the pin, so to speak. Um, and he just does a few things that are, like, markedly more evil. And you're like, oh, okay. That's why this guy is, um, like, is as well-known as he is and, and as, like, as reprehensible as a villain, you know? Yeah, like, like stealing someone's first kiss, that is that is a criminal criminal act right there. That's a heartbreaker. And then to see, like, the impact that has on Arena immediately and she realizes what's happening she starts sort of washing her face and washing her mouth out with like this dirty muddy puddle water in front of her and then Dio fires up like how dare you wipe wipe me off your lips and then he like hits her and you can sort of see like you said how reprehensible and how much of a villain Dio truly is like he's not only very smart but he's very cruel and quick to anger Mm. and that's something that's consistent with Dio as well as it doesn't take much to push his buttons to set him off and, and potentially tip him over the edge yeah, and I think that's, yeah, he, he comes across as sort of like cold and calculated, um, not as insane um, as you, you'd probably think or as he lets on. Uh, but yeah, it's those little things that really like gets him to go. And when it's like when he gets truly off the rails that he becomes, uh, yeah, the most like reprehensible, but also probably the most entertaining. It's things like him stealing Arena's first kiss. That is just like... Yeah, like so evil. Um, just so, and it, like the shock factor of it is, and it's but it's not like it goes back to, you know, the simple deeds that he was doing before the small things. He he gets worse from there. Um, yeah, he so really they, they does. Keep, they they keep building him up. Yeah. God, and and like there's there's a couple of moments in that first episode. Like yeah, the, the kiss deal is the big moment, and then sort of Jojo starts raging when he realizes that Dio has, has done something and, and upset and hurt arena. And, and he comes charging, charging in and yeah, they have that big scuffle again. And that's where Dio sort of draws the blade, but then uh, daddy Joe star breaks them up again and, and scolds Jojo because he's like, how dare you, you could see that Dio had given up and you were still pummeling him. Like it was always right time, right place for Dio in that moment. Yeah. But then after that fight and because Dio couldn't believe that he lost that one of the, like the most horrific moments in, in this episode, and even in the first probably half of this season is we find out throughout this first episode is that, you know, Jojo doesn't have many friends, but he's his closest friend is, is his beloved dog, Danny Mm. and Dio, the sick son of a bitch puts Danny 
in the incinerator and burns Jojo's dog alive. And yeah. it's just horrible. Like, we don't even need to talk that JJ actually fed Danny Grapes earlier, which is a big no-no because Grapes can kill dogs. I was one of my notes. I'm like, how dare you, Jojo? What are you doing this for? But yeah, he burns his dog alive. Like, no, nah, he's, he's a bad man straight away. The kiss is one thing, but burning pets, no way. That's the moment where you're like, okay, like I, we want to see this guy go down. Um, and like, especially because they, they do little things with, with Danny and Jojo in that first episode where you can really see that they're quite close um, and that Danny means a lot to Jojo. Mm-hmm. And it's it's that moment of like, um, you know, Jojo, I think Jojo remarks about how he doesn't know where Danny is and they're looking for him. Um, and then later on, they find out he got into the incinerator. Um, and to see, and straight away as a viewer, you know it was Dio. Like, you know that he did it. Um, and of course, it later gets confirmed that he does, but he gets away with it. Um, yeah. And that's probably the most, yeah, the, the part that gets to you most about it is that he walks away from it unscathed. Um, but Jojo knows, like, he's aware it was Dio who did it. And to watch to watch Jojo be completely powerless in that moment was, like, definitely a, like a high note to go out on. Um, and is definitely what pulled me back to to see what happens in that second episode. So the episode ends there. Like we, we get a time jump of seven years and then it, the episode, the first episode ends and then the second episode kicks up. And the first thing they reference in the f- second episode is Jack the Ripper. And I'm like, oh, hello. Okay, what's going on here? I'm interested now. Like we're going with actual real life serial killers. What's happening? But the cool thing with with Jojo's as well as, as the, the commentary that's used, like the voice that's doing the common commentary throughout the episodes, giving us little play by plays and updates, hmm. adds some really good weight and depth to certain scenes. And this opening where we get the Jack, the Ripper reference, and then we get the commentator saying, but you know, Jack, the Ripper is nothing compared to the horror that Jojo and Dio will unleash on the world. And you're like, Oh my God, here we go. And then it jumps into this, nasty fantastic intro with a banging intro track and just the the animation style in the introduction is also like chef's kiss it grabbed yeah. me from there yeah it's yeah they like they definitely kick it into another gear um on that second episode i think that's where you sort of go okay now we're getting getting started properly um as it like picks up the, the pace and things like that um and like the time jump is also really interesting i think come the end of that first episode you're like oh, i'm ready to see you know where this goes next like you obviously you think that jojo is immediately going to retaliate or try to try to get his father on his side to see that dio is actually this this reprehensible guy but no you know there's a, a seven year time jump and it's like oh okay this is this is still going um and the, the, yeah again i was the same with the jack the river thing it, it also lends a little bit of like a I don't know this this weird like you obviously know it's not real because it's so fantastical in the way that the characters are, uh, are, are larger than life and things like that but to to pull from from something like that is just like like so interesting and also quite funny um just to hear like oh, Jack the Ripper and it's like oh okay like this is this is yeah completely fake but it grounds it in a way with sort of like this sprinkling of reality where I'm like okay yeah. I'm I'm in, I'm in even more here and it's it's interesting with that intro there's so much imagery and emphasis on the mask in that trailer like we we get a few little references yeah. to this mask in episode one where it's it's one of the first items we see in those opening scenes where there was the carriage incident and then we see it on the wall when Dio first moves into the into the giant mansion and then it's all through the intro but then yeah it cuts to that sort of seven years ahead time period and Jojo and Dio are just uh, university rugby union superstars having a great time and, and we get this reference about Jojo being, you know, he's Hercules reborn. And you can see like Jojo, he's an imposing figure by this stage. He is built like the Hulk. He's a mountain. And then Dio, he's still a big unit too, but we're starting to see sort of that brute force versus agility comp between the two. But they win the game. They smile and congratulate each other and praise each other's greatness. But then you get their little inner thoughts and it's like, I'm what? Like, I'm still on you, Dio. I'm going to take you down. And then Dio's like, screw you, Jojo. The world is mine. And like, so there's this internal game of cat and mouse that, like you mentioned, still going on seven plus years later. And I'm like, okay, I'm in. I'm engrossed. Where are you going to take me next? Yeah, you can see that neither of them have let it go. Um, and there's this moment of like, you're watching and you're like, oh, there's a, a camaraderie that they put on um, for the people around them to see. 
that you can like almost believe and almost want to believe but you just you just know um as the viewer that like that is not the case um and i think that makes you interested to see like how it gets to to where it does like what makes them drop the facade especially in front of the people around them and, and sort of um let their let their inhibitions get to them in regards to how they feel about each other and and like watch that play out over the course of the episode and it really this second episode it really dials up the pacing in comparison to that first one like we we get yeah this sort of faux brotherly bonding at the rugby union they're like you know we need to go home and, and tell father about this and so they rush rush back to the mansion and then they realize that old uh, George Joestar, he's bedridden. He's very proud of the boys, but you can see he's very sickly. And uh, the, the boys aren't really too sure what's happening, but he's referencing, you know, his ailment. He's got this cough that won't go away, etc. And so then it sort of jumps again to Jojo, who's in the, the study, and he's, he's taken a, keen, a keenness into archaeology. And we sort of heard that, that Dio is going to become a, a fantastic lawyer as far as their career choices go. But Jojo's in there reading all kinds of books and transcripts and he's got that mask out and you see him prick his finger and he, and he drops a bit of his blood onto this mask, which then comes alive in a way. Mm. And, you know, this is starting to sort of set where the, the future of the, the anime is going to go. And he, he sort of starts to climb up this ladder amongst, amongst this study to grab another book and he ends up knocking down this box and a book in there and he finds this letter in there that was written by Dio's father that, that he gave to George at the time of death because, you know, he owed him. And uh, that's how Dio sort of came to be. But jo- Jojo starts putting it together that the consistencies between the letter and George Joestar's ailments are the same. So it's like, Dio, you killed your own father and now you're going to kill your adopted father here? Like, what is going on? And it just sort of builds from there. Yeah, which is again part of that bid to 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 take the the family fortune for himself. And the stone mask is one of those those moments of like, oh, okay, because you see it in the intro and things like that. And again, you get little tidbits about it in the first episode, and now it's fully come into frame. Um, and yeah, when 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 uh, Jojo uh, bleeds onto it and it comes alive, and the spikes come out, and you're like, oh. Like that doesn't look very pleasant. Like what's going on there? Um, I feel it makes you really interested to see what it is that mask actually does. Like it initially looks like a torture device, right? Um, yeah, it looks quite hardcore. Um, and then you know, as as soon as you know, you find out that Jojo's father has fallen sick. Um, you're like, oh, you know, Dio's got to be involved somehow, right? Like, uh, and you you see you see Dio's father sick with similar symptoms um earlier on as well which i sort of alludes to the fact that that dio had his hand um in both um so yeah you know that that is going to be the thing that the straw that breaks the camel's back so to speak in regards to jojo's and dio's relationship and the facade that they've put on um when they're around each other it's great in that moment too where sort of jojo's cottoned on to what's happening and he he knows how to bait dio in a way to get him to to admit guilt where he sort of makes Dio swear on his father Dario's honor as a gentleman. But then Dio lashes out and he's like, my father had like, was not a gentleman. He was a, like, I love that the word cur gets used a lot in this as far as a a slur. It's, it's such a great word. It needs to be used a lot more, I think. But uh, yeah, Dio's blood starts to boil when Jojo's trying to imply that Dario was ever a gentleman that sort of is the the entrapment that has been laid by Jojo, and then he realizes that, and then uh, tosses tosses Dio off the first floor balcony and smashes him to the ground, and and you know does the like escapes from there. But then Jojo starts to realize that that his father's time is limited. He needs to get out there and try and find some type of cure to to bring George Joestar back to health. Mm. And that's also when you sort of find out that Dio has a or had a resentment towards his father um, in his younger years, um, which is really interesting because his father is sort of as much of a scumbag as as Dio is, right? That's almost where he, in- he like inherits from, um, and you see that, of course, in the opening of episode one with the carriage crash and things like that. Um, but to see that carried all the way through to Dio. But Dio's different in the way that he thinks he's better than his father. Yeah. Um, like he thinks that for them to be related by blood is completely despicable, which, yeah, again, leads into 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 Jojo realizing that there are bigger things to 
to do than than beat Dio up and there, there needs to be a cure out there for George that he can find. Yeah, so so Jojo starts then making haste to uh, Ogre Street, which is a rather uh, infamous uh, street in London to try and find this antidote. And then he ends up befriending this this thug named Robert E.O. Speed, Speedwagon or Rio Speedwagon. There's so many like fantastic pop culture references in this anime as well. Like, you know, from a musical standpoint, Dio, Rio Speedwagon, just for example, as far as legendary bands go. And yeah, you, you meet Rio and they're there to sort of uh, get the cure. But then at the same time, Dio is already scheming to arrange, a, a, I guess, a, a freak accident to kill Jojo while he's out trying to find the mask. So there's a lot of a lot of things at play all at once down there on uh, on Ogre Street. Yeah, and w- when Speedwagon is introduced, it was one of those moments which is like absurd absurdity. It's like you hear him introduce himself to Jojo and you can't help but laugh. Um, even if you don't understand the reference, like Robert... Robert E.O. Speedwagon. It's yeah. just like, it's just one of those things. It's like, okay, all right. Um, yeah, and like Ogre Street as well. It's like, and that's sort of where, again, that like Jack the River reference at the start of the episode is a little bit like, oh, okay, this is like, you know, old-timey London when it was really, um, you, you really get the vibe that like Ogre Street is not a place that you want to be. No. Like even for Jojo, who's someone who's quite like stoic and again, really big, like you said, um, it is a, seems like a very hostile place, very very cold and un, unwelcoming, um, which is stands in contrast to you know their manner. Exactly, and it, it ties into what you mentioned, like right near the the beginning of talking JoJo's, where he is just a, a man that is is believing in the greater good, and he just seems to to lean towards optimism in every type of circumstance, so even though he's surrounded by thugs and murderers down on ogre street he's always like oh hello how you doing like he's always so so put to the point of naivety i think with him but yeah, it is looking very for the best in people <clears throat> yeah yeah it, it's it's nice and touching but uh yeah so so he meets he meets speedwagon they uh they end up sort of becoming becoming allies and yeah we get this fake assassination attempt that dio tries to to take place on that is sort of boiled there. But the crazy thing as well is we, we then see tests on the stone mask. And like you mentioned, where I thought the same thing, where I'm like, it is just some type of torture device, almost like uh, an Iron Maiden to go type of thing, where it's just for the yeah. head. Yeah, put it on but, someone's um, face and it, yeah. Yeah, but he, but he puts it on this uh, this random drunkard and it turns this drunkard into a goddamn vampire. And I'm like, <laughs> What? Yeah, it really comes out of left field because yeah. it's one of those things where, like, you see Dio put the mask on and force the blood and, and things like that, and you're like, oh, this guy's gone. Like, it's going to rip his face off, crush his head, whatever. And, like, that's sort of what you expect after after Danny's death in, like, earlier on. Like, you're ready for the for the gore aspect of it, I guess. Um, but, no, this guy stands back up. Um, his skin is changing colour. Um, I think his eyes go all red and stuff, mm-hmm. and you're like, oh, okay um he's he's transformed into something like um and it's just a moment where this this show that has had like zero supernatural element to it has just dropped a vampire into the mix and it's like (laughs) sure like we're here now i was exactly the same i'm like i couldn't like i I sort of stopped for a minute after watching this second episode i'm like was there anything that like telegraphed this coming up like there was (laughs) no there isn't though no there's not yeah yeah um which i think again it's like a shock factor thing it sort of works in its favor um it, it's a great moment like it, it, it's a, it's a really uh yeah it, it feels well uh, it doesn't feel entirely out there like it's this mask you know it activates with blood but like yeah it, it does something you entirely expect it not to do um but they carry it forward as well. Like it isn't just a one and done thing. So I think that's what makes it the most believable. Yeah. But yeah, it was so out of left field and so absurd, but I was just eating it up. Like I'm like, okay, we got vampires now. I'm down for this. I've got no hesitation that this all makes sense in my mind. Let's just move forward. And yeah, so this drunkard becomes a vampire. Nella kills Dio, but then the the sun, sun rises, which kills kills the vampire anyone knows any vampire law knows that's a good way of uh taking taking down a vamp so mm-hmm. that occurs then cuts back to to jonathan and speedwagon returning to the mansion with the antidote to try and save george but then dio arrives and dio uh 
jumps in, he attempts to kill Jojo, but then George jumps in front of Jojo, sacrificing himself, taking the blade in the guts. But yeah. then Dio uses that blood that was spilt by George on the mark to he himself then become a vampire. And you're like, this is just spiraling out of control, but I am so along for this ride and I don't want to get off. Yeah, it's just this moment of like George dies and you're like, oh, okay, like we're here now. Um, and then, yeah, like for, for Dio in a moment of like and you can you can see why why he does it like there's moments in earlier on where he laments the fact that jojo is physically stronger than him and there's like only so many dirty tactics he can employ to get the upper hand so it's this moment of like desperation where he uses the mask to to convert himself into a vampire really um to gain you know that excess physical strength so he can stand up um to an even playing field um with jojo and things like that um, and that's when you're like, oh, okay, this is this is like totally going off the rails. Uh, but like Dio is so deliciously evil that it's just it's not really that like far out for his character. It's a total moment of desperation for him, but it's a, like a believable one, I think. Yeah, like like he might evolve physically from a strength and speed and agility and I guess immortality standpoint, but as far as the rottenness that was in his core, that doesn't really grow. It's just compounded upon like it was already there now he's just got some fangs and is uh you know susceptible to sunlight but yeah it's such a cool moment and uh they they start having a, a tussle in in sort of these later few episodes we're covering here and they're having a battle and and the mansion catches fire and there's the drama of the risk of not only getting burnt to death but the the mansion crumbling down upon everybody but we have this really cool sort of back and forth uh situation there with with jojo and dio and even when they are sort of near the roof and they fall and it feels like they fall for 700 stories they're falling down yeah. this chute for about for so 10 long. minutes yeah. but even in that moment uh where where we feel it's going to happen jojo is still thinking about potentially saving Dio in a way like there is still a bit of pureness there for jojo he's still trying to see the best in everybody even though that dio is now just you know evil incarnate with with some nasty mm. fangs and they're they're battling through this blaze and they they keep falling and then dio ends up getting impaled on a statue at the bottom of the burning mansion and it sort of cuts to credits from there and you're like oh yeah which is this happened this moment of like oh wow like it's sort of you you see a bit of that with like the the violence and the gore with um you know on ogre street um with the vampire and and, and the thugs um but this is definitely a moment of like yeah, it's it's a step up from that, um, and it's also the first like large scale confrontation um, that the series has. I think, which is it's cool to see because um, you typically see, you know, the the scuffles earlier on uh, over quite quickly, um, whether it be through JoJo's strength or Dio's underhanded tactics. But here, it feels like they're sort of on a level playing field. Um, there's a lot of back and forth, and yeah, like you said, that there's a moment where um, I think Dio's about to fall into the fire, and JoJo catches him one last time to try and appeal to his good side, which obviously doesn't work out. Um, yeah. And, and ends on that, that moment of, of Dio getting impaled and you think, wow, like just like all in, in one episode. Um, it's absurd. It's crazy how, how fast it's gone from, you know, this sort of slice of life, uh, almost social type, you know, period piece, um, into just, uh, supernatural, absurdity um in a good way 100 percent. like absurdity in a good way is a perfect way to sort of summarize where this anime goes after that first episode and yeah the the first episode for me like i mentioned earlier was a bit of a struggle to get through and for it to really hook me but then committing and then watching past episode one into two and three i'm like all right i am firmly on board i've finished the uh the first season now and i've just started chipping my way through season two so so jojo's is finally sunk its vampiric fangs into my neck and uh, is not letting go but it's just really great like i love i love the animation styles you mentioned and i love where they take the time to do these sort of like freeze frames where they're, they're highlighting key moments and it's just this sort of freeze frame with really crazy bright pastel colors and mm. and very eccentric or eclectic sort of art that's sort of uh you know bookending these these freeze these frozen panels and it just 
it's it's just so stylized and so cool even though it feels like a throwback with this sort of 80s style of animation and even like the the manime animation of the 80s where we've got these big sort of brutish characters yeah and it's such a it's such a visual feast as well like it constantly just looks so good it's like so easy on the eyes um and like i think when you when you talk about it like this and you, you haven't seen it and you hear these things you're like it sounds like there's such a tonal dissonance going on with the show um because like a lot of the subject um the 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 stuff that that jojo deals with and dio deals with it's quite uh like grounded and heavy yeah. um you know his his father being sick and and dio killing them both danny's death etc um but like then there's these moments of of freeze frames where you've got these like bombastic colors and and the characters are really accentuated um you've got characters called robert eo speedwagon and things like that <laughs> um and it just sounds like it's a total whiplash um but it's it's just not and i can't put my finger on why it works um i've also watched a, a decent ways past um i think i'm up to episode nine or something um but there's other stuff that happens and you just like yeah okay like this this is happening and you you're never at a point where like this is stupid because it likes it it like it does take itself seriously but not to the point where like it also does things to where you can believe that it can go off the rails at any point and i think that really works in its favor because there aren't many other like anime that can do that i think like i would draw a comparison to like the yakuza series um in terms of games where like their main plot lines are these incredibly like soapy crime dramas that are just like so grounded um and in realism and and like these grizzled characters their history is written on their faces and then you would go to a side quest that's like you've got grown men pretending to be babies um it's it's and it just works that's what yeah. jojo sort of feels like it's like remarkable really yeah i think it um it dances the line between just absurdity and relatability so well like you mentioned there's there's some some plot points here that a lot of people can relate with and whether they've they've dealt with some of these things firsthand or, or secondhand and then when it just dials it up to to crazy levels with with vampires and stone masks and everything else you're just like yeah cool it just just mashes together it's just this sort of melting pot of crazy and relatable heartfelt realness that just somehow managed just to coexist in that pot without burning and hmm. yeah i'm i'm all for it like i like when we can have some moments that tear on the heartstrings that also make you laugh or make you cry or just make you shake your head going, that's the dumbest shit I've ever seen. Like if you can sort of have all of that, especially all in the span of, you know, a 20 odd minute episode, I think that I think you're onto something really good there. And yeah, like to uh, Suda and Suzuki, the two directors behind, behind uh, Jojo's really, really knew what they were getting into with this. And then mm. David production on the back of that with their fantastic animation style, just, complemented that source material but also made it relative and relatable but also it's kind of weird that it feels modern but also a throwback at the same time with that art style which yeah. which i was just devouring there's a there's a clear appreciation and love for the source material like there's obviously a, like a lot of care has been put into it um to bring it to life and yeah it, it does have this like almost fist of the north star um yeah like vibe at points um but it also like really unique and because because it's modern I, like a lot of the the frames and stuff are super clean but like you said the bold it's the bold line work and the larger than life character designs that really like um i think separate it um and and keep it feeling distinct but also yeah it feels like it came out so much longer ago than it actually did yeah um like it's only 10 years old or something yeah it's it's fascinating it's it's cool how how you know the adaptation of the art style um that iraqi went for um has sort of had this impact um after being adapted you know however long after the original serialization came out yeah iraqi just had a good eye for it and yeah it's it, even if some of the some of the things we've talked about as far as the themes or just the absurdity of the plot doesn't resonate at least watch a few episodes just to see how much of a visual feast this anime is we've been talking about a lot of the good but is there any any bad that you've sort of uh, started to, to sort of irritate you a little bit watching this? Is there a few things or whether it be a scene or some of the writing or the voice acting, whatever it might be, is there something that stands out from, from your side from a negative perspective? 
Um, I definitely think that that first episode is a, a little bit too indulgent. Um, uh, like it does end up paying off in episodes two and three, but if if someone was to watch that first episode and say, I just bounced off it, I would totally get it. Um, it's definitely one you have to be able to commit an extra episode or two to like for it to really get its teeth into you. Um, and another thing that I've noticed, like even watching past episode three, I'm not like chomping to go back to it, but when I've got the spare time and I can watch an episode, I'll watch an episode and I'll go, this is good. Like, why didn't I like come back to this sooner? Um, and the same thing will happen. And like, I think the other thing as well is that like so many people talk about how good JoJo's is, um, how much they love it and how much of an impact it's had on them. Um, and I think a lot of that is, you know, past part one, because everyone I've spoken to about it, as least has always said, oh yeah, but it's like part two where it starts getting really good. And yeah. everyone talks about how good Stone Ocean is and things like that. And it's like, and you, I'm pretty sure that the parts, um, they aren't connected. Like you can watch part two devoid of part one and you'll understand what's going on because it's different characters. But I think for a lot of people, they like to start with the star and, you know, sort of tick that off. So I think knowing that you're starting with the weakest part in what is like a six part series at this point, I don't know, you've, you you could be watching it and feel like you're waiting for it to really pick up in the way that people describe it to you, if that makes sense. Mm, that makes perfect sense, man. And I think if there was more action early on as well, it would get more people on board. Yeah, that, that first episode can be, well, not a tough watch, but yeah, just because there isn't anything overly memorable to to incentivize you to jump into that second one. Like, yeah, I jumped out off episode one twice, but I'm happy that I stuck around. And like you mentioned, Stone Ocean is sort of what a lot of people that have talked up or propped up JoJo's to me have sort of said, you need to watch that. But the way, yeah, my brain works, I'm like, no, I need to start at episode one and I'm going to yeah. work all the way through. So... I'm pushing through. Oh, pushing through is a bit of an aggressive term. I'm, I'm working my way through this this first season at the moment, and I'm enjoying it. It's just, it's almost like you know, a, a, like a big dumb Hollywood blockbuster popcorn film. Really, like it's mm. it's never going to win any awards. Like it's it's not uh, Schindler's List from a from a narrative perspective, but it's enjoyable. It's fun. You don't have to give it your full attention if you don't want to. You can still just sit down, enjoy the ride, and and, and not regret the time that you're you're wasting watching it. Yeah, it never feels in the moment like it's it's boring or or not interesting. But I think yeah, a lot of the stuff that people really praise probably comes in in the later parts. Um, which like if anything, I'll definitely uh, get through. Again, like you said, push through is is not really a good way to describe it because it's perfectly fine like it's mm. it, there's nothing glaring that makes you want to put it down but yeah as someone whose brain is wired to also have like i have to watch part one before i can watch part two even if they aren't related um there's that inkling in the back of my mind that's like you know i kind of want to get there and see what everyone's talking about because everyone talks about you know stardust Crus crusaders and things like that so yeah it's, yeah it's definitely interesting um it's i think part one is very different from what people expect if you're unaware of how how JoJo structures itself and when you just generally talk to people about it. Um, I don't think people talk about part one in the same way they do other parts because it's quite different. Yeah. Like uh, if, if anyone watched Pride and Prejudice and zom with zombies, just uh, replace zombies with vampires and, and animate it and that's JoJo's Bizarre Adventure really. So uh, if that uh, tickles the pickle, give it a look because yeah, it's, it's, it's good fun and it's enjoyable and it's easy viewing. But we might jump into the last word, which is presented by our friends over at Japan Crate. Experience Japan through snacks and knickknacks via monthly package drops courtesy of japancrate.com. And while you're there, be sure to use code 8bit15 at checkout to get yourself free global shipping anywhere on planet Earth, as well as a tasty discount. But yeah, Harry, what is your last word on JoJo's Bizarre Adventure? Uh, definitely check it out. If you're interested, um, check it out. Even if your friends say um you know just jump to part two or three i think it's still worth checking out um at least the first two or three episodes of part one and see if you gel with it yeah take 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 the plunge i say i think that's the beauty of anime is that these episodes are only 20 minutes each you never really feel like you waste your time if you don't enjoy two or three episodes you just move on to the next thing right um there's no reason to not give it a crack i think Completely agree. Completely agree. But man, that brings us to the end of another episode of More Than Hentai and Anime Appreciation Podcast. Harry, thank you so much for stopping on by and sharing your fantastic insight here on JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. I'm happy to hear that you enjoyed it and you are going to continue to watch. So uh, that's that's a nice win as far as a 
I wouldn't really say a recommendation because I think uh, you, there was a, as a subtle suggestion from yourself there. So it was maybe a, a mutual agreement on the episode that we're going to be covering here. But uh, one last time, man, just to, to shout out where listeners can find you and all your fantastic content. Yeah, so first of all, thanks for having me. Um, uh, I am Harry underscore Callow on Twitter. That's K-A-L-O. Um, go check out all of our stuff over on Press Start. Uh, Australia, like I said, we've got Diablo 4 review going up, or it's up now. Um, Street Fighter 6 as well. Um, no doubt, stuff always. Go to Press.au for your gaming, Australian gaming needs. Um, all my stuff will be up there as well. Yeah, the, the kings of Aussie gaming related content, whether it be news, reviews, in, interviews, and everything else in between. Yeah, Shannon and the team have done phenomenal work there for the last years, and they'll continue to do phenomenal work for years to come. But uh, yeah, be sure to follow myself at Brendan 8 Bit. Obviously, follow Harry at Harry underscore K A L O. Follow 8 Bit as a whole at We Are 8 Bit. And be sure to rate, review, subscribe this podcast as well as all the other podcasts you listen to on the regular because those ratings and reviews help keep those emotional lights on in all our hearts. Those ratings and reviews take no time to do, cost you no money to do as well. And it's just a good gesture. So pay that good vibe forward where you can. But I think it's time for us to get on out of here. So listeners, whether your anime be subbed, dubbed, or still yet to come, enjoy yourself, stay hungry, and much love to all the gorgeous waifus out there. Goodbye. Thank you. Bye. Bye.